Okay, good evening everyone. Uh, this week there is no Parshas HaShavua because uh, this Shabbos is Rosh Hashanah. So the, uh, the Parsha HaShavua is delayed for a week. Instead, we read, we have two Torah readings, one on Shabbos, one on Sunday. One is about the, uh, the birth of Yitzchak and this and the subsequent um, chasing Yishmol out of the house and and how he was saved and then the next day is the Akedas Yitzchak but we also have Haftorahs and the Haftorah for the first day of Rosh Hashanah is the famous story with Hannah who did not have any children and she prayed for children now, just to remember historically, where did the Haftorah come from? There was a certain period in Jewish history where the governing bodies did not allow the Jewish people to read from the Torah. So instead of reading from the Torah, they didn't take out a Torah scroll, so we read from, uh, from the Navi. We read a Haftorah. That was in its place. And the Haftorah would try to capture the theme of the Torah reading. And therefore, there must, must have been a time when there was Rosh Hashanah and we were not reading about the birth of Yitzchak. So instead, we learn about Hannah's prayer. So that is the Haftorah of the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And the whole idea of reading from the Torah and reading the Haftorah, all this is trying to get instructions from Hashem as to what is the avoda of this holiday. Really every Shabbos we have to know what our avoda is every Shabbos and certainly when it comes to Rosh Hashanah we have to learn what is our avoda here. So the Haftorah should be very instructive for it. So just looking I know, I didn't, I'm sorry I don't have any English sources today but uh I'll just speak them out, and if you can follow along in the Hebrew, but the Gemara Megillah mentions about the Haftorah and Rosh Hashanah, and it says, Umaftirin Bechana, and they, Rashi explains why, because Chana was remembered on Rosh Hashanah. So certainly that fits into the Rosh Hashanah motif. And later on in Source 2, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says, and Rosh Hashanah's sorrow was remembered, and Rachel was remembered, and Chana was remembered. And the Gemara derives from various biblical exegesis how that is so. They were remembered. The third source, the Shalah, even goes a step further, and the Shalah HaKodesh says that the very story that happened with Chana and Eli happened on Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so there's different opinions about this. So there is uh, a number of reasons why we read this, but this seems to be just coincidental. Now, it's the fact that the story happened Rosh Hashanah, that's nice. In fact, she got remembered on Rosh Hashanah, that's nice. But obviously, it's got to teach us uh, an essential lesson about the holiday. And that's what we're looking for. 
and it is a very emotional type of Haftorah. So we'd like to try to understand what is the essential message of the story with Hannah. So Source 5 gives you the main um, ideas. I'll just say over the story briefly so we have an idea. We know there was a man named Elkanah, and he would visit the Mishkan Shiloh and encourage many Jews to visit the Mishkan Shiloh. For in his time, people were not that excited of going to the Mishkan Shiloh. And he had two wives, Hana and Penina. And the wife, Penina, had many, many children. And Hana did not have children. Hana was incapable of having children. And every time he would go to Shiloh, and Elkanah would want to show much love for his wife, Hana, and he would give her extra portions of food, and she didn't want to eat it. And she was a very embittered soul. And she would pray to Hashem, and she would cry, and she wanted Hashem to see her in her pain, and she desperately wanted to have a child. And the particular story that we're focusing on is that she's in the Mishkan, and the Navi says she's praying for a long time. And Eli, who is the Kohen Gadol, and who is just appointed that day to be the Shofet, the judge over the Jewish people, so it's obviously a big tzaddik, he's watching her. And he's watching her mouth, her, her, her mouth is moving, but there's no sound coming out of her. And then it says, And she thought, he thought she was drunk. And he waited for her to finish. And he said to Eli, How long are you going to be drunk? Remove the wine from yourself. To which Hannah said, No, my master. I am a broken-spirited woman, and I have not drunk wine. And she says, Hashem, And I'm pouring out my soul before Hashem. <coughs> so Eli says, If that's the case, you should go in peace. And Hashem should give you what you request. And she conceived and had a child. The Gemara Brachas learns from this story, there's many halachas about davening that we learn. We learned that you have to have kavana, that you should move your lips, you don't say it loudly. A lot's to learn halachas about davening from this story. So now, at this point, when you're learning this story, it is not the first time you've heard the story. So what is our understanding of the story? What's our understanding of Eli and Eli's perception of what happened? Um, like, do you have like any questions on this story from the simple you hear it every year anything disturbing you about the simple meaning of the story why would she judge her that she's drunk why would she judge her that she's drunk and so the, the common answer is that the Kohen Gunnel had the breastplate and often Hashem would speak to the coin Godel by lighting up the letters that were on the breastlet. So he saw four letters 
light up the letter Shin, the letter Chaf, the letter Resh, the letter Hey. Now those four letters spell Shikora, drunk. So he was, wasn't sure what to make out of her. So he says, she's drunk. Okay. Why is that answer not totally satisfying? Now, oh, by the way, his mistake was that those four letters, if you scramble them in another way, spells Kshera. She's a kosher woman. Okay, so that medrash doesn't really help anything. So the, the question is, why would he assume that she was drunk? So this really, this question can be asked in three parts. Part number one, okay, sometimes you see somebody do something and you misjudge it. But the misjudgment here is like 180 degrees. Like, she is crying her heart to Hashem. And he's saying, you know, you know, he could say a lot of other things, but to say she's drunk, like, that is completely off base. Not a little off. Completely off. And more than that, the woman's crying. <laughs> the woman is moving her lips. She's not talking. It's not like she's carousing and stumbling along and, uh, you know, singing like a drunk. You know, there are drunks who, who, who sing too. But, you know, she's, you know, imagine, like, it's like, hey, we go to one of our wonderful Neshei Chayel in the shul and there's a woman who's praying for something she desperately wants and she's praying and she's praying a long time and isn't joking around. How could he? How could he make such a terrible, terrible mistake like that? That's question number one. Question number two: What's the purpose of the Torah telling us this little part of the story? Just say she prayed. She prayed to God, and God answered. That's all. More than that, the Torah goes out of its way not to defame things because even when it says about an animal that's not kosher it doesn't call it tamay it says it's not tahor so even Hashem is particular for not kosher animals to not insult them so much so we're bringing a story about Eli that seems to speak so negatively about him and for what purpose for what purpose to say you should learn to judge people favorably we have another places in the Torah we should judge people favorably. And the third question is, if indeed she was drunk in his opinion, why didn't he stop her right away? Imagine if some drunks would come into the shul on Simchus Torah and really make a, a bad display of themselves. You think we'd wait until they finished? I'd send Mark Lazaro, a couple other guys, i said, get these guys out of here. Let's just forget about it. These are very difficult questions. And therefore, it's impossible to learn this story the way the simple reading is. Do you understand? I mean, we hear this story every year. 
So the best is you're left with a question, how could he accuse her? And we kind of leave it at that. <laughs> okay. But obviously, if the Torah is, the Navi writes it, and Chazal ordained that this should be read on Rosh Hashanah, there must be the essence of Rosh Hashanah is in this story and in this dialogue between Eli and Chana. And we have to say the following, just in terms of the observation. And it's interesting, we're just starting to learn more in Avuchim at night, Rambam's final work, The Guide to the Confused, and he talks about one of the, this is one of the main reasons he writes the Sefer is because we have to know that there's a lot of nouns, a lot of words in the Torah. And we have to know there's multiple layers of meaning of words. And just because a word is used in one in, in the Torah well, doesn't mean that's exactly what it means. There's, there's homonyms, there's, uh, there's allegories, metaphors, all kinds of things. So this is... An example of this, if you look at source number nine, Yeshaya discusses the kind of a person, person is drunk, but not from wine. Now, have you ever seen the term drunk used not in an, in an inebriated state? As, as, the, as the noun or verb drunk, the person is drunk with happiness. what? Happiness. happiness. Drunk with power. So what, what does drunk mean? Think about it. Think about it. When a person is drunk in the plain sense, what does that really mean? He's, he's been overcome by something that is more powerful than him. He was sober, he drank a bottle of vodka, now he's not in control. The vodka is in control of him. That's what drunk is. Okay, now that's obviously a negative concept to allow something to overpower you. Now, does that have to come only from wine? Well, certainly there's all kinds of addictions, but forget about that. But what about, oh, you're overcome with feelings that are controlling. So yeah, you're overcome with joy. You're drunk with joy. I, I, I'm, I can't hold myself back. I have to smile and happy and sing and, and this and that. And it's, it's maybe a little bit over, but it's maybe excessive. But that feeling of joy is just controlling you. Um, you want power. Whoa. You want power. You're drunk with power. So imagine you drink a glass of power. <laughs> drink a glass of power. Power rate. <laughs> and now you drink it all of a sudden. I want power. All right. But that's not what you really want. But, but it's the circumstances that, that makes you drunk with this. So... Obviously, this is what Eli is talking about. He's talking about that she's drunk with prayer. Because it said she was davening for a long time. Now, how long do you pray to God? 
And I said, of course you talk to Hashem. But how long do you have to talk to him? So that means she's drunk with prayer. You think God doesn't hear the message? Okay, I understand we have to pray. But, you know, for hours? I mean, what, what, what does that help? It means you're so consumed with your need that it's overcoming you and it's not becoming to pray for such a long time. That's the accusation. In other words, she's not physically drunk, but, but her sad state, he, she's allowed her sad state to overcome her and she's just sitting there and davening for hours and hours and hours. What's the usefulness of that? Okay, you tell you, how, how long do you, do you nudge? You know, we once had a, years ago, it's like 40 years ago, first time I went to Eretz Yisrael, there was a very sweet, uh, very from Yerushalmi Yid, Gershon Kaufman, Zichron Levracha. And this was one of these frumi trips in Eretz Yisrael where you go visit the graves of Tzadikim. And uh, he would take us there and he'd say, listen, don't spend so much time davening. He says, if you go to a, a Hasidic Rebbe who's alive, how long do you get to be with a Rebbe when you get a chance to be with him? Maybe a minute, two, out you go. So when they're alive, they don't give you much time. When they're dead, they don't want to hear much more of you either. Well, as he said, you know, you go daven, say a capital to Hillam. But, you know, and obviously there's a tour, so there's like 20 people, and if you have one of these people who got to daven for a half an hour, everybody's waiting. On, you know, you got five, two minutes, five minutes. Don't pray so much. Don't, don't nudge. You're like being a nudge. Okay, you told Hashem the thing, and that's it. Now we'll move on. And that, he felt, was a very negative in other words, we, we should not let external circumstances dictate our behaviors. Even if it's so-called a good behavior, but there's more to Judaism than just praying. Now, praying is a mitzvah. I'm not saying it's not a mitzvah. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray. But excessive prayer. It's like you're not leaving Hashem alone. I mean, prayers, but there's other mitzvahs that have to be done. In the time that Listen, Torah gives us guidelines how much to pray. If you're a man, let's say, Shachris, Min, okay. And there's certainly during the day you want to talk to Hashem for a couple minutes and say something fine. That's, that's great. You know, but just, just to lock yourself up for two hours and just keep praying, like, what can you say already? You know, it's almost like when you're a little child, remember when our kids were little, they have these temper tantrums. So what did you do? You walked away and let them scream and they stopped. And if you didn't, they just kept nudging and crying and I want, I want, I want. It's, it's real childish, even for adults. So that's what he's meaning. He's saying that she was drunk from this, this emotional turmoil that has turned her behavior into one that she's not, she's being controlled by the tzara. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's, and that's a negative. And what was her response? She says, no, she said, I was pouring out my soul. It was not drunkenness of prayer, but rather it was a very lofty level of prayer, a drunkenness 
not a drunkenness, but an outpouring of the soul. Okay, so, and therefore, what does this have to do with Rosh Hashanah? That this the whole Rosh Hashanah is this dialogue between Eli and Hannah. That we're talking about praying to Hashem, and there's an argument exactly on Rosh Hashanah. Now, according to the Shalom, that she prayed on Rosh Hashanah, it fits perfectly. Not everybody agrees with that. Unless she got remembered in Rosh Hashanah. But, but we're reading about this prayer. It, at worst, it was a prayer on one of the three holidays because they always came for uh, the three holidays to Shiloh. So, okay. So, in other words, Rosh Hashanah. And the main prayer of Rosh Hashanah is Musaf. That's the main one. Malchios, Sichronos, and Shofros. Shacharis, you always daven Shacharis. Okay, it had Rosh Hashanah motif, but the main prayer is Musaf. That's the heart of Rosh Hashanah. And Aftara is said right before Musaf. Okay, you have Shofar blowing, but it's right before Musaf. So we're talking about this. We are going to be praying on Rosh Hashanah. Now the question is, there seems to be this issue of the Ailey reaction to excessive prayer and Hannah's response to that excessive prayer and somehow that is the issue we have to dig deeper into now what is exactly what we're praying for why we're praying and all these things in Russia that is it's more of an than an introduction but at least at least now you have a some idea this is not a simple story it's not a simple story of misjudgment mischaracterization he didn't think she was physically drunk but he sees she's down for two hours. She's bawling her eyes out. I, I'm sure he felt sorry for her. Genug, it's enough. Don't, don't spend your whole life wallowing in, 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 in Hashem like this. So no, 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 it was an outpouring for my soul. So, so we've got to say, what's the give and take over here? This is what's the critical idea. What is the give and take over here? Okay, that's step number one. Okay, clear so far, but much more has to be explained. So let's take a look at the, uh, the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. And there will appear to be a dialectic over here with contradictory um, uh, concepts in prayer. Okay, what, what are we praying? Why and what are we praying for on Rosh Hashanah? So... You look in source number 10, you look in source number 11. We pray for our needs. Physical needs, spiritual needs. There's a Pusik in Tehillim in source number 10. It says, Tiku Bachoda Shofar. You will blow on the new moon the shofar, etc., etc., when the moon is covered. Kichok li Yisrolhu, for is a statute amongst the Jewish people. Mishpat leloke Yaakov, a law for the God of Yaakov. So what's this double expression? A chok, a statute for the Jewish people and a law for the God of Yaakov. So the Hasidic firm explain, based on this, uh, parsha, uh, the Pasuk in Mishlein, source 11, Pasuk says, Hatrifeni lechem chuki, give me my allotted bread. So that means... Chok, meaning a statute, means there's a judgment for our bread, for our physical needs. It's a chok liyisrael, our chok, our, our, our allotted, allotted a portion. 
we blow the shofar because Hashem's going to decide for the physical needs. Mishpat alokei Yaakov. Mishpat means the just the judgment on the spirituality in terms of the elokei, the godliness of Yaakov. So therefore, what are we praying for in Rosh Hashanah? A lot gets decided. Physically, spiritually, a lot of things are decided. The first day, Hashem decides our spiritual year. Second day, our physical year. Clear. That's uh, clear what the Pesukim are saying. And uh, the Rambam also says this. Uh, the Rambam on uh, source 13, he says, every year God weighs our deeds, our sins and our good deeds. And if you have more good deeds, you're a tzaddik. And the Mephor should explain the Rambam that's saying life, and you're going to get life, means life in the world to come, and death is Gehenna. But others say, no, life means physical things in this life, and death are physical types of death in this world. So according to so many Mephorshim, the idea of the prayer of Rosh Hashanah is Hashem's going to decide what you get. It's all on the line. Hashem's t- taking a fresh look, okay? Last year, you had a healthy year, a prosperous year, this and this. Let's take a look and see if you deserve it. So we're praying for our needs, physical and spiritual needs. On the other hand, source 14 and source 15 says, Hashem says, say words before me about Malchios of kingship. Why? So that you will coronate me over you. And in the prayers, Source 15, we say in the Shvon rule over the entire world with your honor. Baruch Melech King over the entire world. So on that note, we are coronating Hashem with our prayers. So you're going to say, okay, so we're praying for two things. But it's not really, because really that's the two concepts are contradictory. What does it mean when you're coronating the king? When you are coronating God, what does this mean in the deepest sense? In the deepest sense, it means you're nullifying yourself before the Almighty. That's the deepest sense. It's not you're coronating a flesh and blood king. You're, you're, you're coronating the the. the the, the God of the universe that gives, it gives everything that you have. And therefore, when you're coronating the king, you don't think of your own needs. You don't think of your own needs. You're showing your subservience to the king. And, and, uh, and, and to that end, the Zohar says, the Zohar says that people that are asking for so many things he talks about Yom Kippur, but it's the same thing for Rosh Hashanah. People says, give me this, give me this. So he says, he compares people like that to dogs. Why? Because what does a dog do? It barks. What's the sound of a barking dog, if I can try to do a bad imitation? Which is, haf, haf! Which are really two Hebrew words. Have, give. Have, give. So the Zohar says that people are asking God for their needs. It's like a barking dog. 
It's not the time to ask for your needs. You're, you're, you're coronating the king. If anything, you prostrate yourself. You make yourself nothing. You don't, you, you don't exist. When you're coronating the king, you, you, your, your needs do not exist. On the other hand, the text of the prayers is talking about specific things that we need. Vino Malkenos. We say that. And, and the understanding is it's, a, it's an auspicious time to make requests. And it's not just the concept of accepting the yoke of Hashem. But it's really Hashem is telling us to ask for our needs on Rosh Hashanah. So it's a, it's a, it's a contradiction in terms. On the one hand... We're saying, the prayers are saying it. You read the prayers. Take a look at it. We're really saying, Hashem, we need, the, we need these things. All the piyutim talk about, you know, Nisana Tokev. All these things. Who's going to live? Who's going to die? Who's going to this? Who's going to that? Yavinu Malkenos for Parnasov It's Mamashit. But together with that, we have to coronate Hashem. So how do you how do you, you hear the question? How do you hold both like this? So the truth of the matter is that this question can really be asked for the prayers all year long. Couldn't it? Couldn't we make this a question all the time? Shulchan uh, Acharav in Source 16 says that when a person prays before Hashem, he should be like a servant before his master. You pray with fear, trepidation. You should put your hands over your heart. You should be standing like your mom is speaking in front of a king. You're not allowed to make any, uh, you know, sign languages, any hinting with your eyes, winking or things like this. It's totally in front. You're davening. It's just standing before the king. And, and, and if you don't have respect, it's very bad punishment. But at the same time, the rabbis established the, the prayer of Shmon Esrei with 12 requests. So it really is the same question. You're supposed to stand with fear and trepidation before the king. And we know, based on the, the Kabbalistic sources, you're trying to dislodge yourself from the physical world and totally bond up with Hashem. And on the other hand, go ask for your mundane, petty requests that you should get a, a raise. So that question can be answered. Why? Because after you've coronated the king on Rosh Hashanah, and Hashem is the king, and we've nullified ourselves before Hashem, and um, so now, and that's clear, but now, if I need something, I got to speak to the king. It's time for the king to start being the king. <laughs> okay, we coronated you. You're the king. We, we're totally subservient to you. Fine, no questions asked. Okay, now a few weeks later, you know, I have a problem. Well, who do I go to if not the king? King is supposed to be open for business. He's there for the people. So now it's a random Wednesday in the middle of November and I got problems and I need you to help me with my problems. 
So that's not really such a problem during, mm. during the year. Because it means, no, during the year, the king is open for business. Ask what you want, but do it respectfully. Like, he's the king, so you have to be really careful. But, but yeah, he's there to answer questions. But the problem is when you're at the haktara, when you're at the coronation, where we're showing the greatness of Hashem and our nullification to Hashem, that's not the time to think about what you need. So all year long, it's not a question. All year long, yes, I'm standing before the king, and you should know that you're standing before the king. That means if you got something to ask for, it better be important. Okay, fine. You got to show respect to the king. Fair. You don't want to ask in a disrespectful way. Good. But the king has. King also has a job. He has to take care of you. So you're entitled to ask for things. That's not a problem. But in Rosh Hashanah, it's the day that we all have to show that he is the king. The focus is, you know, Lahavdil when they coronated uh, King Charles. Hmm. Okay, can you imagine at that coronation, there's a lot of guests, and uh, during the coronation, somebody comes over to him and says, you know, can you help me with this problem? So he'll say, you know what, now's not the time. Wait till a couple of weeks, I settle down. Okay, then you can come and tell me your problem. So this, is, this makes Rosh Hashanah even harder to understand. Because on the one hand, we're coordinating Hashem, and then it's, that should be all about Hashem. On the other hand, we are told, ask for your personal needs. I understand, if I'm nullified to Hashem, there's no such thing as personal needs. Yes, I will have, but not, it's, it's like the, it appears to be the, the least optimal time to ask. We should all be focused on one thing. God, we totally surrender to you. And at that moment of total surrender, I have no needs. Punk, at that time, you got to ask, did you have good Parnassa this year? Seems quite out of place. So, Obavich Rebbe explains the following. He says, when a Jew asks for his needs on Rosh Hashanah, and that's when we say in uh, the additions, the insertions, like Zachrein Ulechaim, Melechafiz Chafaim, King, we're, we're asking you for life. For your sake, Hashem, we want life. So, what he is going to say is our requests that we make are not really for our benefit, but what we're asking, it's a continuation of the coronation of Hashem. And well, how is that? Well, we say in the prayer, right at the beginning, Hashem meloch al ha'olam kulo Hashem, you should rule over the entire world with your honor. What does that mean? It means every aspect of the world should reveal godliness. Every aspect. Not just the seven billion people on the planet. But every animal, every plant, every tree, every waterway, Everything has to be revealing the holiness of Hashem. As Hashem, when he created the world, he said he wanted a dira batachtoni. He wanted a domicile down in this world. So therefore, it's not enough that Hashem is king over all the people. His divine presence should be felt 
on every piece in the entire world. That's what you're praying for. Coronating Hashem is not to say, okay, you're the king. You're the king, fine. No, but your realm is perceived everywhere. everywhere. In that cup of coffee, God's kingdom should be perceived over there. Now we have a very interesting rule that every person in this world as an ambassador of Hashem, Hashem gives us all interactions with various physical things in this world. Why? So that we should use those things to coronate Hashem as well. So, Hashem gives you a desire to have this kind of skill, to have this kind of a job. And now you're working in this place. What does that mean? That means your job is to coronate God there. God gives you the money to buy a car. Guess what? The car has to coronate Hashem. And the zone can coronate the car unless you make the car coronate Hashem. Why? How do you do that? You drove the car to learn Torah. Your husband drives the car to go to shul. You gave someone a ride. Like I, I, I read a story about a tzaddik and I copied it when I, when I pick up uh, my grandchildren every day. I take them to, to school. I take, pick them up from school. So, uh, so I tell the boys, you know, every car has to have a mezuzah. I said, what? Sadie, no car has a mezuzah. You have to have a mezuzah. What's a mezuzah? Mezuzah protects you. So you have to have something that protects you in a car. So what is that? You do mitzvahs with the car. Do mitzvahs with the car. Rev. Gissinger, Sakharov Rech from Lakewood, I, I read the book about him. He used that line. It's such a powerful line. What, what's that car for? Just to drive on a vacation? Just to get to work? No. The car is to be a chesed machine. person should look at that car and say, that's a car that is used by the Almighty. Mitzvahs are done with this car. Someone's asking you for a ride, and it's not exactly the direction you're going, but that person's going to have to walk, and it'll take them two hours to get there, and it'll take you four minutes out of your way. That car is meant to crown God, and it crowns God when you go out of your way and drive the person. Now, within reason, obviously, you're not going to drive four hours out of your way when you were just going to the corner grocery store. But that's what everything in this world, those are holy sparks of Hashem that have been in captivity. That, in other words, the car doesn't see there's a God. When you look at the cars at the Ford plant, you don't know there's God in this world. But when you see, for example, someone from Hatsala driving a Hatsala van, oh, you see God in that Hatsala van. Every piece of metal and every screw is being used to save people's lives, to do chesed. And therefore, Hashem gives us a connection with God decides how many things we're going to be connected with. And therefore, Hashem is God, and therefore when we're coronating God, which means I want you to rule over every single thing in this world, and I'm totally nullified to you. But as I'm nullified, I know that I've got a job to do for you. And what is that job? Is to have everything in this world 
coronate you, Hashem. And when everything coronates you, so that's what I'm asking for. It's not an asking for me. It's I'm asking Hashem, now that I'm coronating you, can I please coronate you over more of your world? And by you giving me health and giving me parnosa and giving me this, this has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with your realm. Now, if I don't have any money, it's going to be very hard for me to coronate the king. I can't give tzedakah. If my car breaks down, I won't be able to give people rides. If my health isn't good, I won't be able to do chesed. It has nothing to do with me. But if I'm coronating, it's not enough that I'm coronating myself. I want every physical thing that God himself, you yourself, want me to be attached to a certain part of the physical world, I want it to be in a good way so that I'll be able to further extend the reach of the kingdom. That it goes into every inanimate object in the world. We call this the nitsotsos, the the sparks of holiness. Everything has a spark of holiness. Everything is meant to reveal God. But it's up to man to use those sparks in a way that Hashem wants. And since Hashem, he says, I'm the king, and I want to be present in this world. I want everybody to recognize. And that's where we're coordinating Hashem. So therefore, and the truth is, does your neshama have any needs at all? No. Yeah, your neshama has no personal needs. Your neshama only wants one thing, to cling to Hashem, to cleave to Hashem. So then what do you need anything for? It's to fulfill God's supernal desire that everything should be coronating Hashem. So now you're saying, Hashem, I want to have the things that will further the coronation. So you're still not asking for yourself. You, you hear the difference? That is all good in theory. <laughs> Let us be honest. Did many of us think that way last Rosh Hashanah? I think, I think, I think it's being fair. Most people think the following. Okay, we're coronating you, Hashem. We know that. Hashem, you're the king. And I want you to take care of things for me. And we probably didn't realize the, the uh, what do you call it, the inappropriateness of it. Because we've been told, this time to ask. We're very obedient Jews. We're told to coronate the king. Yes, coronate the king. Ask what you need, ask what you need. But then you got to think, wait a minute. Doesn't that doesn't seem to go together, right? But we just leave it at that. So, so you need the story of Chana, which we'll get to in a moment. We'll show how this fits in here. So, okay, you're going to pray. I'm going to exactly how you're going to pray. It's not two conflicting things, but one's an extension of the other. First, we're coronating the king, and I and I have no needs, clear. But if I'm coronating the king. So, so usually at the coronation, the king, you know, makes a speech. What he hopes to accomplish is the king. So imagine if Hashem is speaking at the coronation, and he is, because it's through the Torah readings and things like that. So it's Hashem saying, okay, guys, I'm glad you showed up. Now you know what we got to do. We got to make every piece of this world crown me also. You in? I'm in. 
Oh God, where do you want me to go? <laughs> well, I got a house, I got a job, I got family, I got health. Hashem, I'm asking you for these things. Or let's even say it as Hannah would say it. Aren't there women who pray to Hashem every Rosh Hashanah or they want to have children? So now why are they praying for that child? Are there Jews who are not well? Why are you praying for the health? So now what's the understanding supposed to be? The understanding is, do you think I need the child for myself? I need the child because if I don't have a child, I don't have anyone else to continue. I can't bring any more ambassadors for God into the world. I can't emulate you. If I don't have health, I don't have the ability to do the things. I don't have the strength to do the things. So that really puts a whole different spin on it. But we come back to the original question. Okay, so now we've got the theory. But again, I don't think most, and there's a problem. It's not, it's not a bad problem. It's a real problem. But, but I'm human. <laughs> and I'm feeling pain. I'm really feeling pain. This person I love is very sick. I'm feeling a lot of pain. Mm. You cannot deny that pain. If you say, well, you know, just get over it, that's, that's cruel and it's not true. The fact that you're having pain means Hashem's giving you that pain. You, you have the, the mechanism to feel pain that God gave you. You know, you could be cold as ice, you know, you could be like a mafia killer and they have no feelings. Okay, but if you're a normal human being and somebody you love is sick, you're going to pray your kishkas out on Rosh Hashanah for them, no? And, I, and let, let's be honest, what are you praying for? Because you love the person. And let's be honest, is Hashem's will like foremost in your thoughts at that time? Well, if you're a tzaddik, yes, but if you're a human being, the trauma is just too much. So now we got a, a sort of a problem. <laughs> got sort of a problem. That, well, okay, now we, we, we saw what the perfect model is, but God made us too darn human for us to be that perfect model. Are we going to honestly say that, listen, I asked from, now there is a virtue. Listen, when you go to Hashem and say, Hashem, I got a problem, I know you're the only one who could fix it. That's a great thing. That shows you got a Muna. Great. And that's what prayer is. That what is what prayer is. There's nothing wrong with that. If, if somebody, you need something, you say, Hashem, I need it, I'm going to you because you're the only address, that is tefillah. But the problem is we're, we're at a coronation now. So where is this fitting in the coronation? You want to do that? Do it later. Okay, no, 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 no. It's, it's really, really, it's, it's an extension of the coronation. That's what we're saying. Okay, fine, but how many of us feel that way? Very few. So, so let's be honest. We're not really doing it the way we really should. I really thinking of oh, these are sparks that have to be elevated, and and if the if the person feels better, then he'll be able to elevate more sparks and this and that. No, you're in pain. Finished. Hashem, take away the pain. It hurts. You're physically sick. It hurts. I don't have parnasa. I can't buy things. It hurts. And Hashem created us to feel those pains. So it almost seems that Hashem is dooming us to failure. Here, here's the level, okay? 
And now me is the creator and God created us with hormones and all kinds of feelings and neural pathways and things like this. And I'm just feeling devastated. Now we made that up. Hashem could have created us to be a little colder, stiffer. So how can, and the Torah is asking every single Jew to put both ends together to think of their needs but not selfishly but only for the purpose of furthering God's realm now I, in past uh, iterations of my teachings about Rosh Hashanah I kind of left it at this point and never really asked this last question in other words kind of always said yeah that's what it is you gotta everything's just for Hashem okay and People are, it's hard. I said, so it's hard. <laughs> Who says you have to? It's hard. So this year we're going to give a better answer. A, a, a more complete answer. Let's ask another question. And the Baal Shem Tov explains this question. It's based in a Pasuk in Tehillim. And I'll spare you the Pasuk. Why did God make us built in a way that when we're hungry, we're hungry? Why do we have to have feelings of hunger? Okay, thirst. Um, cold, I need to put clothes on. Hot, I need to put lighter clothes on. So, until uh, it says, it, it says, Ra'evim gantzameim, those people that are hungry, those that are thirsty, nafsham bahem tisatev, the soul is enclosed in the hunger and in the thirst. What does that mean? What does that mean? What it means is as follows. Since we have a job to be connected to the whole world and bring out the godliness and everything in the world, Hashem has to create an inner mechanism within ourselves to make that happen. So let's say you were created that you never get hungry. If you never get hungry, what will you never do? You never eat. Now we could take it a step further. God could make us that we don't need to eat food. That's even a better question. If you think about it, this whole process of eating is a really terrible... You know, if you wanted to criticize God from a totally uh, atheistic point of view, you could say, God, if God created the world, he had a pretty terrible job of doing it. You know why? He could have created people who don't need to eat. You know how much life would be easier if people did not need to eat? And you wouldn't have to go to the bathroom. You wouldn't have to do a lot of things. No one would die from starvation. People, why do people feel cold? Give us a steel body. You don't feel anything. You don't need any clothes. Why you got to do that? The answer is because that's the only way you're going to be able to coronate the rest of the world. So what does God do? Your, your soul inside the soul, the spiritual soul, wants to coronate God over the entire world. And therefore, the spiritual soul interacts with the animal soul and makes it hungry. So when you're really hungry, what is really going on, but we misunderstand it, is that the spiritual soul is saying, you know, 
God has destined me to interact with various substances in this world to coronate Hashem. And how does he do that? He makes me hungry. I now decide to go and buy a piece of bread. And now I make a bracha on the bread. And now I've elevated and I've coronated God in the bakery. Which would not have happened had I not been hungry. Why are you cold? That I should have clothes. How do I have clothes? I go and hunt a, an animal. I skin it. I make a skin. I got clothes. I got leather. I put it on. I'm warm. The animal's been elevated. Hashem created us with needs. They're really coming out from a spiritual cry. That's what it says again. The Pusik and Tehillim. Their souls are hungry. You're hungry and thirsty. The souls are with which they wrap themselves up with. They wrap themselves up with the clothing and the food and, that, and that's the purpose of elevating it. So you, you, you feel it yourself. I mean, you do feel it, but it stems from the deepest core of the human being, is the soul. So the soul is hungering to coronate Hashem so he lets your body understand it with physical hunger. Because if my body isn't physically hungry, I'm not going to eat anything. So it's the soul that's making me hungry. And God can't blame us for having those feelings because we're more connected to our bodies than our souls. That's why he created us. I see my body, the soul's much harder. Let's be honest. Which part of the service, if you're paying attention to service, which one will you shed a tear more by? Nisana Tokef, when you hear who's going to live, who's going to die, and all these pictures come in your mind, or we're going to coronate the world with God. Which one do you get more emotionally overcome with Nisana Tokef? Well, because it's a body need. What do you, what do you expect? We're human beings and the body needs. But really what's going on over here, the body's needs is coming from a soulful need. And therefore, let's, it goes way beyond food it's feelings okay somebody that you love is suffering you're feeling pain now what's that who's feeling the pain your body's feeling the pain but where is it coming from the soul knows there's another area in life where God has to be coronated just like I'm, I feel the pain of hunger, which means I have to do something with the physical world to coronate God, to take away the physical hunger that now takes away, assuages the spiritual hunger. So now the fact you're crying over a situation really means what? There needs to be a coronation somewhere over here. Somehow with this sick person, Somehow we got to see that God crowns the world here too. And now how does that happen? You're, you're feeling terrible. So on a simple, I'm oversimplifying here. So what happens? I have to do something for the person. I'm going to take him to the doctor. I'm going to cry. I feel responsible. What can I do to help? Now what can I do to help? When you're doing that, you are crowning your act. You're emulating Hashem, just like Hashem visits the sick, you're visiting the sick. The sickness is a source of coronating Hashem even in the most least likely places you think God exists. 
Why did God make my, the person I love so sick? How could he do this? But what are you doing instead? You're being godly. You're going out of your way to help the person. You're emulating God. So you, you understand. So why do you have this terrible, not terrible, but this uh, painful emotion? It hurts. Why does it hurt? Because it's your soul is almost making it hurt. Why? Just so you should hurt and cry? It doesn't get no benefit out of that. But it's to move you to coronate Hashem in this part of the world too. And if it means just to say, Hashem, I accept the judgment with love. You see how much things are hurting me. But Hashem, I love you the same way. Doesn't that coronate Hashem? Weren't there many Jews after the Holocaust that I'm through with God? But they didn't realize their job was to coronate God in the Holocaust. That makes God really a king. To, to coronate God in a Holocaust shows that king's reach is very far. What? Some rabbis did that. Yes, but many didn't. But they don't understand what the purpose was. So we have to understand that that's the, the inner, you have to always know, the bottom line, Hashem wants to live down here. He wants to be the king down here. And who can corner him? Just us. Nobody can actively corner him. But what about the rest of the world? The whole world has to corner him. So Hashem gave us a number of things in the world that we have a connection with. And that's what the Gemara says. Certain things, Hashem, they find chain in a person's eyes. You like it for no reason. Why'd you pick that dress? You know, you can have a whole discussion. You picked that dress, a blue dress, right? I think dark blue, whatever. Why'd you pick it? You're going to say, I like it. Yeah, why do you like it? I don't know. I like it. No. Hashem wanted you to like blue. Because that dress needs a tikkun. You know what that tikkun is? The fabric of that dress needs to scream out there's a God in the world because it's in clothing a woman who's dressing modestly. And that dress's sparks are dancing in Shemayim saying that I've come, if it came from a sheep, if it came from synthetic, whatever it came from, whatever the material was, had a crown Hashem. So instead of chas v'shalom being uh, cladding a woman very scantily and it desecrates a God, no, it was made in a way, the person who made it for this purpose and the person who wears it and says, this is what this material was made for. And I, it costs so much more money because it's from clothing and it costs much more something else. That's why you had to have the money in order to make a tikkun on the clothing. And that's why you like it. Why did God want you to like that? While you like that dress and you like this and you're wearing a dress, he's wearing pants. I like, Hashem made that. This is what I like. Nah, this Hashem says, you have a rendezvous with this material. So next time you put your clothes on, you have a much, you'll have a much loftier understanding that I'm making a tikkun on these clothes. And, and, and that's, that's a great blessing. All right, so therefore you can ask God for nice clothes on Rosh Hashem. And that's why we wear nice clothes on Rosh Hashem. To show Hashem, look, we brought all these clothes to the coronation, not Stam. Not just for a regular wedding, which is also nice, but for the coronation, I brought my nicest clothes because I want to elevate even the clothes, the food, everything. Why do we have such a fancy meal? For because we want the the the, the chicken and the roast beef to also coronate Hashem. 
And therefore, when, after you come home from shul and you finish coordinating Hashem, and you're asking for all you need, so now you eat the food and you think, now we're coordinating the chicken and the roast beef and the liver. They all are saying there's a God in this world. I made brachas on this, I said smiros and vartoros, all of this at the same time. Okay. So, so what really is happening is that even when we're asking things for our personal needs from a deep emotional pain, it really is stemming from our soul knowing what the deepest thing we're meant to do in life is. Which is a very big yisot. So now let's go back. When we're asking for things on Rosh Hashanah and we are very emotionally distraught, we don't have to say, okay, tough it out, put your emotions aside, you only want things good for Hashem. Wonderful. If you're a great tzaddik, that's a beautiful level, and, you know, yasher koyach. 99% of us are not like that. 99% are saying, you know what, it's hurting me. Now you just, now the only avoid it is to add one step to it. It's hurting me. Hashem, I really wish you could take this pain away. But now at least I have a better understanding that it's hurting me because this pain is supposed to have me coronate you. And now I want you to help me. I'm feeling the pain and I want, and, and, and that's the major feeling. And, I, and you can make it feel better for me. So what are you bothering me with your Mishagas and now it's time to coordinate? But I am. I want to coordinate you in this pain. In this pain. This is the extra step you have to take. And that's not such a hard step to add on. In other words, it's not saying you shouldn't feel the pain. You shouldn't feel the hunger. I feel the pain. I feel the hunger. I feel all these terrible things. And you know why I know I feel this? Because my neshama is making me feel this way, which is legitimate, and I don't have to suppress those feelings. And I want you to take away my pain, but I know that the source of all this is that somehow I'm supposed to coronate you with this. And if I can coronate you with this fact that I, I lived through the pain, my belief in you was strong, and that things got better, and if things get better, now I, I, can, I will be a better ambassador for you, Hashem, then that's all Hashem can ask from you. And you don't have to dislocate yourself, disconnect yourself from your feelings. So now let's go back mm -hmm. to Eli and Hannah. Mm -hmm. And now you understand exactly why we're reading this just before we're going to dab Because it's telling us, this is the way I want you to pray. So this is the give and take, why we have this Haftar. Eli said, why are you, how long are you going to be drunk? So what was Eli saying? Eli saying, you're standing before Hashem. You're in the Mishkan. And when you're standing with Hashem at tefillah, in your mind, even though not in place, it's like you're in the holiest of holies. When you're saying the Amida, it's like you in your life, in your mind, is in the holiest of holies. And you know what? You should only think about Hashem. There's no reason to think about your own private needs. Even a request that I want my my child to 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 uh, to you know to be a tzaddik and everything, he should be very spiritual. And certainly, you shouldn't have such a long prayer. You're being drunk with your feelings, and don't let your feelings dominate. The fact is that you got to be connecting and surrendering before Hashem. That was his question, and it's interesting. 
We know that when the coin Godel was about to leave the Holy Spirit of Yom Kippur, the Gemara says, interesting, it said he said a short prayer. Because really, you don't pray that long. You shouldn't. You're in front of God. Now, Eli, you have to understand, that was what his feelings were. You're davening too long. You're drunk. By, you're intoxicated by your pain. And you're so focused on your pain, you're nudging Hashem like crazy. And it's not respectful to Hashem to do that. Because what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to only think about Hashem. It's disturbing. So just like a person who's physically drunk, when you, if you ever tried davening Marv after Purim, it ain't easy. I have to acknowledge many times I'm not successful in Ramesh feeling I'm in front of Hashem. It's, it's not the best. But I don't have to be drunk with scotch. I'm drunk with this emotional pain. It's no different. It's all about my problem. Yeah, but you're talking to Hashem. Okay, so during the year, you're allowed to do that. But on Rosh Hashanah? It's on Rosh Hashanah? You're letting your own humanity get in the way of your prayers of Hashem? So she said, you don't got it at all right. I was pouring my soul before Hashem. Yes, yes, in my soul, I'm feeling terrible. I don't have a son. And I'm not going to deny that, that as a mother, it's killing me. But don't misinterpret that to say I'm drunk with that feeling of unfulfilled motherhood that's dominating my thoughts because at the core... It's Hashem making my soul be so uncomfortable with this that I have to have something more than this. What for you, Hashem? Even though, I, and, and, and probably being honest, maybe even as a mother, come on, it's killing me. I have no children. So Ailey's saying, so forget about yourself. He says, no, no, no. It's the myself is telling me what's going on in my soul. It's the soul screaming out. You know, there's more to coronate in this world. See, what, what, did, what did the husband say to her? What did Elkanah say to her? He says, you know, aren't I better than 10 children? So what was that saying? What was he saying? That's a man, you gotta realize. I say, forget about your feelings. I know you wanna have a children and this and that, but love, I love you. So she couldn't take that because there was much more. There's more than that child. So therefore she felt she's, she's got, and that's why Ailey, she at that point the rabbi said that's when she really is praying because she now at this point felt that Elkanah gave up also. Elkanah saying, just forget about your feelings already. Let's shift the focus. You're so focused on you don't have children. Why don't you focus you have a husband who loves you? Come on, isn't that important? So what was he trying to do? He's trying, in a good way, trying to take away the pain. He's trying, but you can't. But even after he said it, she still felt terrible. And she knew the husband meant what he was saying. So what is it? My soul is telling me not to agree with that. My soul is saying I have to express this pain because the pain that's, yes, it's for Hannah personally the pain, but for the soul of Hannah, it's the pain that she can't emulate the Almighty by bringing a child into the world. What are women built for at, you know, base level? I'm sure for many, many things. But the obvious base thing is to bring children in the world to be God. God-like. And without that, you're suffering from a very difficult challenge. So she, that's what she's asking for. And that's what she's saying to Ailey. 
And that's why she makes a vow afterwards that if he, I have a child, I will give him to live in the Mishkan his whole life. So now we understand what our, now that you've heard this Haftorah, now you can start to have Musaf. And it's, it's, uh, it's not enough that inside you are surrendering to Hashem and making him the king. It's not enough. So on the one hand, you might think, well, like Ailey, it's enough. It's enough. I'll, I'll just say a little bit. I shouldn't bother Hashem. After all, it's a coronation. That's what Ailey's saying. After all, it's a coronation. Wait. So no. It, because it's the coronation, and because I want to coronate Hashem with every part of the world, and because Hashem brought me to the coronation feeling um, scared, feeling unsure. And why did God put those feelings in me? To bring out what's really going on in the depths of my soul. And therefore, my asking for things personally from Hashem in the way of understanding that, yes, I'm not going to deny I'm selfish. I don't want to suffer. And I know you're the only one who can help me. Why am I doing this at the coronation? Because you're the one who's making me feel this way. And you're forcing my soul to express this way. And now if you will take care of that, then I will be able to take care of the souls. Just like you're hungry. Is it not fair to eat on Rosh Hashanah? Let's not eat on Rosh Hashanah. Huh? It's a coronation. We've got to waste our time eating? No. Because eating is part of, the, part of extending the realm. Isn't it? Now after such a mosa, if you go eat, you elevate every spark of all the food that's there. So, well, so you can eat supper, you can eat lunch, you can eat all these things. So why can't Hashem fix a few things and take care of the pain that's coming from your soul? And that was the answer that she gave. And at the end, Eli, Eli said, you're right, Hashem should answer your feelings. So I think this can put us all in the right frame of mind. Don't feel bad. Don't think you're being selfish. Hashem created you with those feelings because they're supposed to bring out what's lying dormant from your neshama. And then when Hashem answers those feelings, you will be using them specifically in the way they were meant to be used. Okay. Yeah, you have a question?